This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Shouldn't you be at work? It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal! From Lord Pohino! Still it's not away. Southgate shot. Milosevic scores. Now you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? It's Series 9, it's Episode 10. I'm Chris Gold. Joining me as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And here he is, the Carol Vorderman to my Richard Whiteley. It's Michael Marden. <laughs> Hello. How are you? Good. Celebrating my Rear of the Year Award. <laughs> yes, of course. You and Charlotte Church. And Frank Skinner. Frank Skinner. Skinner was a weird one, wasn't it? What was that all about? I think it was just sheer fame, wasn't it? I don't know. I mean, when you say a weird one, I don't... I, it's not like the Mercury Music Prize. No one was robbed. Like, it's no, there's yeah. no... Six months later, you never heard of his ass ever again. Yeah, exactly. There was always a um, ass you'd never heard of nominated that really boosted up the charts due to his... Didn't Carol Smiley win it one year? Oh, almost certainly. Yeah. Almost certainly. Uh, is that, well, how does that judging work for that? It's the pools panel, yeah. because it happens during summer when they've got downtime. So it's um, Roger Hunt and um, Sir Tom Finney. The wife comes in, Roger Hunt's just staring at Carol Smiley's bum. Well, what's this? I'm judging rear of the year. Fair enough. Do you want a cup of tea? So uh, shall we get on with the, the news? Headquarters of ITN News at 10 with Chris Scum. Robbie Earnshaw's concern for Elon Musk. <laughs> I'm glad you dodged the one I was worried about. What were you worried about? That Trevor Sinclair's become an anti vaxxer. <laughs> oh no. Trevor Sinclair certainly uh, pulled into question. Uh, there's some very anecdotal evidence about the amount of people having cardiac arrest. Um, and. Uh, <laughs> It's made me question whether I liked his goal against Barnsley as much as I did. 
Well, I've always thought that goal was overrated, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to have been an early adopter of that nonsense. Oh, dear. Well, in better news, Robbie Earnshaw, is, uh, this is actually a little bit old. It's been, it's, been on, it's been on the news agenda for a while, but finally we've got down to it, which is this. Robbie Earnshaw, I don't know if you followed Robbie Earnshaw on Twitter. Is, do we used to have a feature called 90s Footballers on Social Media? Did it have its own jingle? Possibly. There was a great one we never got round to, which I'm going to bring up now, which were... There was a post of uh, Colin Hendry, and he was selling a pair of Yeezys on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, he was selling them for a, a friend. And what I really loved was below the line, there were lots of uh, football fans trying to get him to sign them, and then they would buy them. But I have a feeling they were pranking him to sort of devalue these Yeezys, and they, they weren't Blackburn fans. Would you buy a, a pair of Yeezys signed by Colin Hendry? Do you know what? I might just, yeah. If it was 2am and I'd had a couple of whiskeys, <laughs> probably. What would you, when people come up to you and go, what's you, what's that squiggle on your your Yeezys? Colin Hendry's autograph. <laughs> oh, how much are they worth? <laughs> Limited edition of one. Well, two, if, two per shoe, if you count per shoe, obviously. Colin Hendry. I can't even imagine Colin Hendry in his normal life in anything but like, I don't know, just loafers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Yeezys, that's not on brand. No, it's not, is it? It's not how you'd imagine him. He looks quite different now. Did you watch the Premier League uh, documentary on the BBC? Yeah. I haven't actually seen it yet. Yeah, he does look... That feels very straight. A bit of a busman's holiday for, for us to watch it, I suppose. <laughs> that's one of the issues. But, um, yeah, he looks quite different to how he used to. Yeah. It's difficult because they didn't cut out far enough for you to see what was on his feet, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> A pair of Louboutins, no doubt. Um, I'm just looking at a picture of Colin Hendry. He's got such a weathered, rugged face, hasn't he? He almost looks like if Mount Rushmore was a man. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Literally carved from granite. Well, that's the thing you remember about Colin Hendry is he's like a proper centre-back. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was born to be a centre-back. He looks like a centre-back. And you've got to remember, when we were watching him in the 90s, he was in his 20s. Yeah... He was in when Gaza chipped the ball over him. He was in his twenties. Yeah, he was in his twenties. Yeah, but there we go. We, we always talk about how footballers looked different ages then, right? What's What's Robert Earnshaw got? Should to we say? get round to what Robbie Earnshaw's up to? Right. So he said he tweeted this on the 18th of October. What if Elon Musk is an alien who is just trying to get back to his planet? <laughs> <laughs> so SpaceX, all of this is just a ruse. And what he's doing is building a spaceship so that uh, he can just go up. It's quite a nice theory, isn't it? Yeah. I like that, yeah. I read a funny tweet that was um, someone saying, what if all aliens on this planet were just billionaires from other planets that have basically just gone into space like Elon Musk and then ended up lost on another planet? Oh, I really like the idea see, of that. Yeah. Sort of like billionaire aliens. The, the Bill Gates and the sort of Richard yeah, Branson and Elon Musk of the alien species are the ones that have ended up here. Imagine having to remake your money. But it would be easy because you've got advanced technology that you've got here. That's that's the beauty of Robert Earnshaw's theory. It is a great theory when you, like, think about it. I'm not saying it's true. But, like, um, because Elon Musk, who's the richest man in the world, has obviously got the advanced knowledge to do that, to build all this stuff. Would an alien be into the music of Grimes? Do you know what I mean? Like... That's the interesting thing. It's like, how much of an advanced alien is Elon Musk? And would you not Would you not try and be a bit more undercover? Imagine the day he's doing a rocket test. Elon Musk goes, I'll take this one, lads. On he gets, goes back to his home planet. 
What does Robbie Earnshaw tweet then? <laughs> I told you. I told you. Retweet. You wouldn't believe it. Here it is. Say there must be someone who knows apart from him. Say it's Grimes, right? And imagine she... Are they still together or have they split up? I think they split up. But they're, they're still in contact because of their child, right? Yeah. Although it's quite odd that they've managed to breed. <laughs> <laughs> Unless both of them are from another planet. Robert Earnshaw's got, got to clear that one up before this theory goes any further. Yeah, reply. How has he had a child with Grimes? Um, but imagine explaining to Elon Musk that Robert Earnshaw's onto him. <laughs> And then having to explain to him who Robert Earnshaw is. <laughs> Surely by now, if it was true, Robert Earnshaw would have been eliminated. But do you, do you think the aliens have took one look at this and gone, does Robbie Earnshaw have any credibility? No, let him crack on. Well, exactly. And also, he's a different, difficult person to... You can't eliminate him from the records because he's played international football. Do you know what I mean? Like, people remember Robert Earnshaw. He's not just some kind of faceless person. Isn't he the guy, there's that fact that he's scored at every level of the football league? or yeah. a hat- he, He's definitely the answer to a, to yeah, a quiz yeah, question. Yeah, I think he is. I wonder whether there's a sort of alien hit squad that were like, well, we can just get rid of this guy. And they're like, well, hold on a minute. Because every time that pub quiz question, that hack quiz question comes up, people are going to go, yeah, what happened to Earnshaw? Wasn't he in like a beef with, with Elon Musk? So actually, the better thing to do is just discredit him. What if Robert Earnshaw is, the, is a kind of the only other alien on the planet and they're kind of rivals and they've taken different routes? And Robbie Earnshaw is just so fit because Elon Musk is getting closer to going home than yeah. Earnshaw is. Yeah. So he's like, I'm going to out him. Yeah, so Robert Earnshaw's route was to play football but astonishingly being an alien doesn't make you the best footballer it makes you well you know almost the best footballer in the world in the grand scheme of things he's in the top who's probably in the top thousand of six billion people but he wasn't quite good enough for it to lead to him being able to fund space flight <laughs> well there we go but my favorite my favorite thing about this is now whenever a 90s footballer does something slightly odd people tag me in the tweet and it just it just enriches my life it's yeah, like getting, it it's does. like getting almost getting a text message from '90s footballers every time they say something a bit mad. Slightly worrying for you though, Skull, because Musk's people that are going to eliminate Earnshaw oh, have seen God, that I'm you've next. been tagged in, and now you've been dragged into it. Oh, no. You'll be the first eliminated <laughs> from it. Earnshaw at this point is very much like the canary down the mine, and he did play for the Canaries, so that's even. <laughs> oh, it's all coming together. Yeah. This is like that scene in Jaws where the camera like zooms into him on the beach as he realises, oh, no. I think they'd eliminate you first, though, Skull. Yeah. Because you're going to spread it out a bit more. Like, Earnshaw's... Censor the press first. That's the, that's the way. I can't believe I'm going to find out if I have more credibility than Robbie Earnshaw by the fact <laughs> who outlives the other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. If you've got any more news for Chris Skull, you know... Yeah, if he's still with us next week, then um, you do know how to get in touch. Shall we have the emails? One last emails in your life, Skull? Let's do it. One last electronic post bag for the road? I'd like to put a request in on, on, on that. Listeners, best 11 of footballers who might also be from another planet. Yeah. So if Earnshaw's oh, yeah. playing up front, Musk is, uh, Musk is the manager. Who are other sort of otherworldly footballers? that when you look at them, whether it's the way that they look, their style of play, their personality, that perhaps are are not of this world. I've got one straight away. Erling Haaland. Tamori Ketsbaya. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
Cat's by I like you know that scene in Men in Black where like the head opens and there's like yeah. a tiny little alien like Cat's by is just sort of like some angry little alien that's <laughs> controlling this man and he's like bashing the controls like you would on a Super Nintendo when you get annoyed just kicking the hoardings uh, well that's what happened when he when Cat's by scored that goal the little alien in his head controlling the body fell off the chair and then just hit all the controls while he's like kicking the advertising order. And you know the long-running motif of 90s football that Dan Petrescu looks like Agent Mulder? Maybe he's the only one that's kind of... He's looking into it. That's why he's in football. <laughs> do send in your footballer aliens. Not like just Ronaldo. But I do think Haaland's got something of the kind of... I can imagine him being chased down in... Blade Runner. That's not an alien, is it? That's a um replicant. Or oh, Harlan's got a sort of like T one thousand. Like he's yeah. sent, he's yeah. a perfect physical specimen that's sent back in time. He's actually come to hunt Robert Earnshaw. He just <laughs> can't, he can't do it until he gets that transfer to to England. Otherwise, it's too suspicious. Right. Should we do the electronic post bag? I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the electronic post bag. You've got mail. Right, let's start with a classic jingle. Can I have Do I Remember This Right, please, Michael? Do I remember this right? 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 Right. This is from Toby Arbenz. Do I remember this right, guy? When discussing Everton beating United in the 1995 FA Cup final win, the only thing I can recall was a contract thing with Mike Walker. So, um, just to be clear, if you're not aware, uh, Mike Walker, I think, had been sacked earlier in the season and Joe Royal had taken over, is that correct? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Mike Walker's contract said he'd get a million quid if Everton won the FA Cup. That he got the sack didn't matter, as the wording meant he still got paid. Oh, wow. Did this happen? Love the podcast, Toby. What? How would that even work? Was it that season or just at any point ever again? I think it was probably that season. If we look at Mike Walker. Did Mike Walker start that season then? Yeah, he was at Everton until 1994. So he would have been... Um, he was at Everton until November of that season. And then uh, and then he left. And then uh, they won the FA Cup. And this email is saying that... that I do, do they remember it right? That Mike Walker got a million pound bonus. Let's not, let's not Google it. Let's leave it to our... Let, we, I can see you when you're Googling, Skull. You've got a different screen. <laughs> Contracts don't work like that. Do they, like, would it just be if they won the FA Cup that season or ever again? No, I think it would have been that season, wouldn't that it? That season. It feels like that could happen. Yeah. Like, because, you know, if you're negotiating that as an oversight, you might not be expecting him to leave within one season. That that sort of subclause and the wording of it... I think most of the time you'd find a way around it, but if you're Mike Walker and you've been sacked, you're like, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold them to this. Yeah. Do you think there was any Everton directors like watching Paul Rideout get the winner and just thinking in the back of their head, oh, Mike Walker a million quid? <laughs> I was confident we'd lose to Man U in the FA Cup final. <laughs> I'm absolutely gutted. I didn't believe Paul Rideout and Graham Stewart would score the winning goal together. How has that happened? Okay. <laughs> Shall we have a little music? I'm going to play your song, and I want you to name me the artist and the song. Okay, very simple. Yeah, yeah. And Skull, this one's for you. Could you name me the uh, song and the artist, please? It's David Gray, isn't it? Babylon. Let's just listen to a bit of it. Right tonight, and I'm going nowhere. 
Yeah, is that David Gray's Babylon? It's, no, it's, it's Babylon, but I'm not sure that's David Gray, is it? It's not. Would you like to have a guess at the artist? <laughs> is it a 90s footballer? <laughs> well, it might it'd be a shame if it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael, any ideas? No, I have no idea who that is. That is uh, Babylon, covered by Matt Janssen. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, are you could have given me a million guesses. I wouldn't have got there. Do you want a bit more? Yeah, let's have a bit more. Just to see the quality of it. Looking back through time, you know it's clear that I've been blind, I've been a fool. How, how has this happened? Do you know? Do you know what? You know what? It's, he's not properly singing. Like he does it. Like he's singing in the shower, but doesn't want to be heard. I think. I think he's done a good job. Saturday. And I'm Saturday. He's just. He's sort of. He's talking. He's not really singing. <laughs> All right. Sort of like well, a tuneful talking. Okay. If you're going to have a go at him for that, do you want to hear another song by Matt Hanson? <laughs> Obviously, yes. <laughs> Okay, this is from an album called Don't Google It Skull. It's called In a League of Their Own. Okay, and it's uh, they're all songs by footballers. It was released oh, yeah. in 2002. How has this not come up? <laughs> this is a bit more Matt Janssen. Oh, come on. <laughs> Can I just say, I don't even know what I mean by this, but that feels on brand for Matt Janssen, that song. <laughs> it really fits the oeuvre. Did you enjoy it? I quite like, I want to hear more. Also, I have a question. Um, we might come to it during the quiz, but what, Matt Janssen's got two songs on this album. There's 15 songs. Matt Janssen's got two songs. Do you want to do it as a quiz? I've actually got a different quiz ready, so do you just want a few more? Shall I give you some songs and you can choose one more for us to listen to? Okay. Do you want the full track listing? It's quite funny just to read it out. Yes, please. Yeah. Number one, That's Life, sung by Ron Atkinson. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is that is a great opener. Yeah, that is side one, track one. That smells like Teen Spirit. They're coming out big yeah. there. Stop the album there. We're done. It's done. We smashed it. Five stars. Number two, Angel Eyes, sung by Frank Sinclair. <laughs> oh this my is god! Not real. This is not real. The whole thing is on YouTube. How many can we have a sample of? I want to ask for a sample, but I also I don't want to go too early. Well, we'll get to the end, and you can have a couple of samples. Number three, Something Stupid, which is obviously a duet, sung by Ali McCoyst and Gabby Logan. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Number four, Babylon, Matt Janssen. Yeah. Number five, Summertime, sung by Chris Kamara, plus saxophone, Dion Dublin. <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah, done. Dion Dublin, he's not even on the Duke. But I've listened to that. It's not the Summertime. Uh, it's not the Mungo Jerry Summertime. Uh, it's a different song I hadn't heard. Is it the Will Smith Summertime or a different... No, it's not the Will Smith Summertime. Uh, I didn't recognise it. Number six, What a Wonderful World, sung by Alan Mullery. Uh, <laughs> Number seven, Come Fly With Me, Big Ron Atkinson again. 
Of course, yeah. I can see Big Ron, Vegas lounge singer. Number eight, walking in Memphis, Matt Janssen. Number nine, my favourite things, Dion Dublin. Oh, wow. Number ten, Chris Kamara, sings Brown Eyed Girl. (laughs) (laughs) Number eleven, Pennies from Heaven, Alan Mullery. Number twelve, When the Rain Begins, Ron Atkinson is really struggling by this point. Number thirteen, Ali McCoy sings Donald Wears Your Trousers. I don't know what this is. Number 14, Chat Line, sung by the players and personalities. I don't know if that's everyone. And number 15, Song for Guy, Matt Janssen, piano solo. Oh, Matt Janssen, piano solo. Oh. Would you like any more of them? I mean, I would love to hear a little sample of um, something stupid. And I'm tempted to ask for Brown Eyed Girl as well, out of morbid curiosity. Here's Brown Eyed Girl. He's not bad. Who's singing this again? Is this Kamara? Chris Kamara. For the listeners, Skull's dancing. That's fine. It doesn't sound like him, does it? What, Van Morrison? (laughs) Yeah, his voice does really go at the end, doesn't it, Van? It's a bit like Dylan. Last time I saw Dylan, I was like, God, he sounds a bit like Kamara. <laughs> Do you want something stupid? Yeah. Yeah. Ali McCoy, do you know what? He is so talented, isn't he? He is so talented. He's got it all. He could have been anything. Maybe he's an alien, because he's like, he's got it, he's got it all. He can sing, he can act, he can play football, he can offer pundits, he's a great commentator, he's funny. He's good looking. He's good looking, film star. Oh, Oh, he's got it all. There we go. That is the album in a league of their own. We will put up the picture of the back of the album. Right, that is about that. We have a great quiz coming up based on an email uh, from... uh, referring to Robbie Slater see you later it's turned that into a game we will do that but first yes Christmas is around the corner and no doubt you're a 90s football fan you're looking for stocking fillers well I've written a book about 90s football it's called Can We Not Knock It inspired by Graham Taylor but it features all sorts of oddities from the 90s everything you can imagine including Sir X Ferguson getting off a speaking ticket because he had the shits it's all there go to canwenotknockit.com and Josh if you're after even more books you've got one Yes, why not read my book? It's called Watching Neighbours Twice a Day. It's all about the 90s. It covers lots of stuff on this podcast based around the television and culture of the 90s. And uh, can I say, it's rather moving. It's not. Uh, But I do buy it uh, from all good booksellers. But now, Chris... It's the big one. It's the big one. I'm so excited about this. We have crossed a line. Michael is fuming, but we've looked at a documentary from 2004. No, 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 no. But it's, it's a 90s figure. It's a 90s stalwart. Neil Warnock, Plymouth Argyle Zone. We're going to now drill into him in detail through the lens of his season with Sheffield United via a documentary simply called Warnock. And who better to join us? Mr. James Gill. We will come to the Neil Warnock documentary, but James, as a long-time fan of the show, first, you'd like to start 
we used to do a feature, didn't we? Uh, which was a clip that had been brought in. And you, as, as soon as I asked you whether you could do this show, you just suggested that you wanted to talk about this clip. Can I just say that sometimes on, say, Sky Sports News, a team will just win promotion and they'll interview, you know, a left midfielder and they'll say something like, first and foremost, I'm a fan. I used to stand in that stand over there, like tears cascading down his cheeks. That's what I am to quickly, oh. Kevin. When the text came in this morning, I was applauding to a stand that what, it was my two kids eating the breakfast. The word this morning is so telling as to how... <laughs> grown together this show is at the moment. Sorry, <laughs> three weeks ago. <laughs> three weeks ago when you contacted my agent. <laughs> I don't think I can hype this clip up enough. This is extraordinary to the point where, and listeners, I urge you to, to watch the video. We'll put a link in our Instagram stories. You watch this once and you will assume it is a spoof. And then the more times you watch it, and I've seen it conservatively 10 times, you will realise that this is real. And it's also a chilling insight into how corporate Sky was to the extent where they were expecting you to buy into the company to the extent that this video suggests. I mean, I, I, there's something dark about this video. Let's hear it. April the 26th. 1982, an era began with the birth of the family of Sky. So that's what it was. And Chris, could you describe what we saw there? A collection of 80s British celebrities, including Anthea Turner, Pat Sharp. Gary Davis, Tony Blackburn. I tried to find all the other ones too, like a Swedish fashion designer was in there. Uh, and then a, a crocodile, a cat. A rubber crocodile. <laughs> and a man who's like, 
undead. Yeah, a man who's like dressed as a vampire or something. Yeah, like a vampire, like really pale skin. But what is the context of this? <laughs> do you know? Was it something to do with a pan? Were they Sky when they originally launched? Were trying to launch a pan-European channel? This was 1987. Do you know what it was, Michael? You're the kind of person that looks into these things. No, I, I could only find as much as is available underneath the clip, which is it's sort of some kind of pan-European release video slash song, which, I mean, like James said, it's sort of, it's the sort of thing that should be kept in-house. That's the kind yeah. of like grubby, like initiation day. You've just started your new job at Sky. You sit down, you get your your logins, you get your your lanyard, and then they show you that video as if you're sort of like, yeah, you're happy to be a part of this sort of big corporate thing. That going out to the world as a sort of like presentation of, hey, this is who we are. This is really exciting. Isn't that terrible, terrible misjudgment by someone editorially? It's it's laughable. It looks like it's mad that that's five years before they completely changed the face of football. It's a kind of amazing video that turns up in a Netflix documentary that everyone is watching and everyone yeah. goes, like, it doesn't feel dissimilar from something that would be in a worldwide country or f from the Tiger King. Do you know what I mean? It feels <laughs> like you go, I can't believe this video was made. And Gary Davis ended up murdering all of these people. Like, it's, <laughs> that's the kind of thing. Two words, North Korea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is what you think when you watch it. There's so many hoops that have to be jumped through in order to get there. Like, if you're Pat Sharp, you're doing reasonably well at the time, you're in Funhouse. First off, they go, we want everybody in a room and you're going to sing a song together to kind of the sky. And alarm bells ring at that point. Then you hear the song and you're like, well, this is crap. And then you get in the studio and you stood next to a cat and a crocodile. Yeah. What was, and I, I'd like any listeners who experienced this, what was Sky in 1987 when this was made? Before football, what was Sky? Did anyone have it? What were you watching on it? I am pleased to say that my dad was a very early adopter of Sky. We, right. I was the first person to have Sky. I didn't like, I had Sky probably like a year or two before anyone I knew had it. But Sky was like probably, I had Sky before even the Premier League was on it. And it was like two or three channels. It was this Sky channel, which, and this, um, and those, those puppets are from like the Fun Factory, I think, which is like their version of CITV. But right. there was nothing, there was nothing on it. And what, do you know what any of the big, what Anthony Turner and Pat Sharp were up to? Absolutely no idea. You get a real insight into who the company men and women are. Because one or two people are... One or two people, I'm not going to name names, are leaning into that song as if it is Band-Aid, Do They Know It's Christmas. Yeah, really they are. There's one person in particular who is singing her heart out. <laughs> Anthea. As if she thinks that's going to get yeah. her some sort of promotion. I'm not going to say a name. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, and, and as time proved... Uh someone who wasn't shy of promoting, say, a chocolate bar at her wedding, that sort of level of, like, I will lean into anything for the payday. But that, that's sort of the Band-Aid reference. It really reminded me of that. You know when someone releases, like, a football song and there's the big-budget version, which has got nice production values, there's clearly no expense on location, cinematography, cast crew, all of that, and then someone else releases an unofficial football song at the same time, and it's just shit. It's very similar, but it's lo-fi, it's crap, the cast are rubbish, the production the song's not as good this video and this song is like that shit b version of band-aid you could you know people when they were pitched it was pitched yeah. this big thing and they turned up and they went i'm sorry what it's anthea turner tony blackburn and these three guys <laughs> fucking rubber costumes where's bono like where where, where, where is what i was promised and a vampire 
We all love Pat Sharp. He does not. He it's safe to say he does not want to be there. Yeah, there's there's a telling moment where the camera pans from left to right, and obviously he knows that the camera suddenly is on him, and he sort of like looks down and looks away. He doesn't want his eyes to make contact with this grubby experience that he's going through. It's astonishing, isn't it? And the guy who's the guy that's dressed like a, a vampire. I mean, what on... <laughs> I couldn't track him down. What? <laughs> anyway. That's bloody, uh, that's Rupert Murdoch. That's who that is. Join Am I right, guys? Family of <laughs> uh, But no, Josh, you're, you're 100% correct. In 10 years' time, there'll be a six-part Netflix, sorry, no, 10-part, when six would have been enough, 10-part Netflix documentary. It's it's uh, astonishing. It is yes. amazing. If anyone has any info on that or on any of the uh, things you used to watch on Sky before the Premier League, do get in touch. But we're here today to discuss Neil Warnock. In, in particular, a documentary from 2004 about Neil Warnock, in which it follows Sheffield United... I can't believe there's another one. Follows Sheffield United for a season. It does feel pretty 90s, to be honest, as a documentary. It didn't feel like, oh, we're stepping out of the 90s too much here. Neil Warnock firmly holds it in the 90s. We've said we loved it. Michael, what was your views on it and Neil Warnock? Yeah, I mean, I equally... I had some reservations going in because... I'm probably the most rigid in terms of the 90s remit. But I think the fact that Neil Warnock is such an amazing character who is essentially stuck in the past in many ways, but in quite uh, endearing and very charming ways. I sort of have an opinion of Neil Warnock, which as a neutral in that he's never really managed a team that are a great rival to Manchester United. I have He's never managed Manchester United, obviously. So I've always sort of considered him a slight figure of fun. Like I'm sort of indifferent. I like him as a spectator thing, but he's very two-dimensional to me. And actually what this film did, which I thought was great, was really sort of fleshed out his character, but also made me like him so much. Like he is exactly the type of manager, you know, in a world pre-Pep and Klopp that I would have liked to have played for. Like he really, he just cares. Like he's a proper, you know, it's a cliche, but he's a proper football man. He's in that sort of Barry Fry canon of like, yes, at a certain level, that's exactly who I would go over the trenches for. I genuinely, I quite passionately believe that by law, even like now, a camera crew should follow Neil Warnock around 24 hours a day. And <laughs> that would be a, that would be a, that would make Tiger King look like a flop. But do you think, <laughs> do you think he's still practicing the same methods? 100%. Yes. 100%. <laughs> he's still writing on his whiteboard close down shots as a tactical <laughs> like like yeah pass the ball score a goal at what level are you having to write close down shots for your defenders it's mad yeah the thing is neil warnock is 72 now so would he have evolved between the ages of 58 and 72 <laughs> no <laughs> obviously neil warnock now is you know he became a bit of a mocked figure there's a point in this when he talks about so he's trying to get sheffield united into the premier league and there's points when he talks quite kind of poignantly about how he just wants to manage a team in the Premier League and he thinks he'd be good enough. And you know that he's gone on to do it, not just with Sheffield United, but with Cardiff. Yeah. And possibly with other teams I can't even remember. But, like, it does make you feel... I felt genuinely delighted watching this. I can't remember watching one of these where the manager's not a failure. Do you know what I mean? Where it doesn't (laughs) feel like... Oh, God, this is bleak. Is this the first one where you've gone, this guy has got it? Yes. The season after this, he gets Sheffield United promoted. And the season after that, 
they get relegated on the last game of the season and it's his decision to leave. Oh, was that the Tevez? Was that, that was Tevez then? That's the oh. Tevez game. Oh, yes, please. Come on, Netflix. <laughs> I mean, I mean, again, but what a kind of, what a guy that he, he ultimately resigned. Like he said, fair enough, I don't think I've got it or whatever it is. But then after that, he, you know, he went to Palace and, and the rest is history. So, so how do you feel about that, Chris, as a West Ham fan? Because that's a very, you know, essentially time has proved that West Ham were wrong because they had to offer that that massive payout. But it wasn't that big. It was like six and a half million pounds. And here's what I'll say about that. <laughs> That's Sheffield a big payout. Sheffield United were at home to Wigan on the last day of the season. They lost 2-1 and Wigan was stayed up instead of them. It's Sheffield United's own fault. Well, then it's not, no, it's not just the end of it. It's not just the last game of the season, though, is it? I mean, it's fair to say Tevez was a good signing. <laughs> Tevez also did nothing until like the last three months of the season. Yeah, this one is on Sheffield. <laughs> Come on, mate. That is not a defence. <laughs> he only caught fire when it really mattered. <laughs> For nine months of the year, I didn't kill her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's such a bad defence. The guy that we shouldn't have had playing for us. It's like, yeah, oh, I did rob the bank, but then I spent the money on the wrong things. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Also, he came good when it when the pressure was really on. Yeah, exactly. I blame Sheffield United in that situation. Anyway, can I just say on the fact is 2004, just quickly. Yeah. Little Alan Wright's there. And it's also like, this is a wonderful little postscript to that 90s period because you see Danny Cadamartery. Yes. Who in the 90s was this shy... He was the guy to break into the England team. He was the one to watch. And then you see him turn up in this documentary saying... Oh, been up all night, Gafford. He's like, well, why don't you call first thing in the morning? Oh, I went to bed at 5am. You're like, oh, this is what was wrong with Danny Cadamartery. No, he was ill. Yeah, was he though? He was yes. up all... No, he was, right. he was on anyway, the Anyway, 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 <laughs> let's, let's go, let's do this in order. Because I think we need to anchor this back in the 90s. Well, can, can I just say that if we do this in order, this documentary gets off to the dream start, because b- before it technically even starts, the first thing it says is, warning... Well, he could have said, Warnock contains strong language. <laughs> and as soon as it said that, I thought, oh, this is going to be absolutely sensational. It says it's a DVD or a VHS. Why does this exist? Do any of us know why this exists? No. See, that is a great question. So I watched the end credits and had it said, this was such a, let's be honest, it was a bit of a, I know he swears on it, but it was such a puff piece that had it said at the end, executive producer, Neil Warnock, I would not have batted an <laughs> no, eyelid. No, I'd Warnock agree. Productions. It was some company called Beaumont Productions, hero of quickly Kevin, James Richardson doing the voiceover. Yeah. But I cannot for the life of me fathom why this exists, how it was released, what the point of it was, other than entertaining us four for this podcast. 17 years later. Also, can we just be honest on this? James Richardson, a man whose whole existence is based kind of in absolute opposite of Neil Warnock. Like, James Richardson and Neil Warnock are the opposite ends of the footballing spectrum. But 2004-05, the brief period between Football Italia ending and Guardian <laughs> podcast starting, James Richardson's having to take voiceover work on a Neil Warnock puff piece. James Richardson sipping a cappuccino outside Rome, Neil Warnock having a travel lodge coffee... <laughs> <laughs> and those two worlds have collided and good God, are we grateful. It's a bit like, you know, when they get like, it's the joke voiceover. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, when occasionally they'll do like, 
it would be a documentary on bin men, but they get Joanna Lumley to do the voiceover, <laughs> as a kind, like as a kind of comparison. And that interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, exactly. And Gary is covered in bin juice. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we get Danny Dyer to do the voiceover about these oligarchs? That would be a really funny <laughs> Anyway. These fucking rich pricks. <laughs> Let's talk about what we thought of Warnock in the 90s, because we now see Warnock as this thing. Warnock was a big deal to my footballing experience in the 90s. I, my first memories of him are when Notts County got... he got So he got Notts County into the Premier League with consecutive promotions. Into the first division. They never went to Premier League, did they? Into the top league. Yeah, it was just... It was a season before it became the Premier League. He got into the top division, Notts County. The old Division 1, basically. It was before the formation of the Premier League. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, so he got Notts County into the top division. And I remember they had a cut run, and my main memory of it, and I couldn't find the clip, sadly, is of Warnock being quite central to this, and it mainly, him being on Football Focus or something, him having a snowball fight with his team. I don't know if any of you remember this. And then he got Notts County to the Premier League, and then he kind of disappeared from my life. He then got Huddersfield promoted, I think, and then Plymouth went down in 1995, and Neil Warnock got given the job. And um, do you know what uh, one of the first changes he made was to the um, to the Plymouth Argyle? Have I told you this before? Are you aware of um, what Plymouth Argyle run out to? Go on. Plymouth Argyle run out to this. What is this? Oh, man, hairs are standing up on the back of my neck. That's a... Uh, <laughs> piece of music called Semper Fidelis, right? And Neil Warnock said, we can't run out to that. <laughs> <laughs> so one of his first changes was that... Was it Def Leppard, Let's Get Rocked? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, rot. Just makes me love him even more. Brilliant. Oh. It's just so uh, Northern Working Man's Club. <laughs> yeah. Which, bear in mind, it was our first ever season in the basement division. We lost our first five games. I mean, he's, it's like he's taking the piss. Yeah, yeah. But he said he does it at every club. He demands simply the best. The team come out simply... I don't know whether he's kept it up, but he demanded it at every club. And then we lost our first five games. Then we got to the playoffs. In the semi-final, we lost 1-0 at Colchester. And then we were 2-1 up at home. Ten minutes left. And Warnock got into an argument with the uh, with an official, and he got sent off. And he did the just my favourite manager move. He just it was terracing behind him. He just leapfrogged the uh, advertising oh. hoarding straight in with the fans <laughs> in the terracing, just behind the dugout. Can't touch me. I'm just behind <laughs> the dugout now. Yeah, <laughs> love him. And we win with a last minute header from our left back, Paul Williams. Go to Wembley. First time we've ever been to Wembley. And we win at Wembley. Neil Warnock had given us that day. And do you know his record then was he had done four playoff finals and won them all. Isn't that an astonishing... Wow. What a motivator. We went up and then the next season he fell out with um, Dan McCauley, who owned Plymouth Argyle, who's our owner in the 90s. And uh, he left and his assistant, Mick Jones, not the guitarist from The Clash, uh, (laughs) stayed on. 
and uh, they fell out. But they're friends again by Sheffield United because you can see his back being Neil Warnock's assistant. Uh, and that motif of his assistant taking a manager's job and that not going down well with Warnock <laughs> is played out again within this documentary. So for me, he's a very big... I remember when Warnock was sacked, my dad um, got, you know, the outside a news agent, you get the um, the stand, which has the piece of paper with the headline. Yeah. And my dad got the thing from a news agent where it's Evening Herald, Warnock sacked, and he got it framed for me as this kind of momentous moment in my childhood. He was a big, big deal. That's why he's got that place in Cornwall that comes up in this. It meant, because he had that house in Cornwall, he's been linked with the manager's job at Plymouth Argyle every time it's come up since because he's got connections to the area. Oh, man. Is there any sense of what if with Warnock? Like, hadn't if he hadn't have fallen out with the chairman, a Plymouth one of the teams that he might have carried through the divisions, like Knox County? I don't... There certainly wasn't a sense of that on the pitch. I mean, he brought in Bruce... <laughs> that was the season he brought in Bruce Grovelar to play in goal. And Bruce Grobelar was in court during the week and playing in goal at the weekends. <laughs> um, but there was a sense of that first season we went up, we were big spenders in terms of that division. We were spending a good quarter of a million on players, on individual players, quarter of a million each. And so he tended to fall out with people wherever he went. His football wasn't good. We weren't particularly good. Like, he was sacked when we weren't playing particularly well. He could have got... Our, our ground was... And it's not like we... No, I... I to answer your question, no. <laughs> Has your opinion of him changed? Like, is the Warnock you thought you knew represented in this documentary? So this is closer to the Warnock I liked in the 90s yeah. to the Warnock that I see as a kind of awful relic now, which is probably unfair. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've always had a real soft spot for Warnock and, all, and a lot of football... So I was a sports writer for more than 10 years and a lot of sports writers, I think, have a soft spot for Warnock because he is very good with the media. Yeah, really? Yeah, as you see in this documentary. So have you interviewed him? I've interviewed him a couple of times. So so I used to cover Palace 2002 to 2005 for the Croydon Advertiser. And then when I was at the London paper, which was probably around 07 to 09, I was still popping down to Palace because I still had good ties there. And I was there at the weekend, but that's another story. Face to face at the training ground, and he was, he was wonderful. And the thing with Warnock, and if there's any sports writers... Uh, listening to this, what he was great with, he would always give you a line. And that's that's all you ever want. So he knew what he was doing? He knew exactly what he was doing. And in, in, in non-journalism parlance, I mean, obviously, I understand. But what do you mean by <laughs> give you a line? So what you want is something that will make a good headline. It might be an exclusive. It might be a, a, an angle that you weren't expecting. Something that really pops. So when you when you open the sports pages and it's something like something really bland and generic, it's because, that say, the footballer they were interviewing hasn't given them a good line. So a line is something that will really pop on a page. And that, and Warnock was a, a genius at that. And Warnock would know what he was dispensing then? He knew exactly what he was doing. And was he charming? Absolutely. I'll tell you this, though. I'd heard from other, other football writers, and they said this in quite a negative way. Sometimes when you're phoning me, you'll go, you've got one minute, right? And then after a minute, that is... He was he was being literal, and that's your lot. Whereas I felt when this happened to me, and I'd phone him, and he and he'd say, "You've got a minute." A minute of Warnock 
would be would be enough to fill a page because everything that comes out of his mouth, there's no flim-flam, there's no waffle. It, he answers every question directly, and that's why he's pure box office. I mean, you know, as he is in this documentary, but that is true. You'd hit your minute, and that's your lot. What, 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 do you go minute up and just hang up? Pretty pretty much, yes. Oh, that, I'm going to start doing that. That is a great... <laughs> I was talking about in a negative way, but my experience of that was only positive because I always thought, yeah. he, he said a minute, Everything he said was brilliant. He's given, he gave me a line. So I, I, I had absolutely no beef with that. And also, J- Josh, you know as well as I do, the worst part about, about being a sports writer is transcribing an interview. So, you know, you might have, a, you might have an hour-long chat with someone, and this was like before podcasts, uh, so you'd have to transcribe the interview. So an hour chat, and you think, oh, that went great. And then when you had to type it up, you could be looking at like a full day, you know, may, maybe even more of transcribing, whereas with a minute transcribe that it doesn't take very long but you but you know you've got a great story for the next day i like him love warnock so much i'll tell you a story but so i heard a story from a from a let's say a northern based journalist that when this is relevant to the documentary when clever when kevin blackwell was in the running for the leads job warnock according to this journalist said to the journalist how the, how the bloody hell is Blackwell linked with that bloody Leeds job? I bloody, I bloody love that Leeds job. Hey, you, link me, link me with that bloody Leeds job. Go on, <laughs> link, you, link me with that bloody, I bloody love that Leeds job, right? So they ran the story, you know, Warlock in the frame at Leeds, something like that. They, they didn't directly quote him. Blackwell, as we all know, gets the Leeds job. And then at the next press conference, a journalist said to Warnock, what was that all about? Linking you with the Leeds job? And Warnock went, absolute bloody rubbish. Don't know where they get it from. <laughs> <laughs> that is how sports journalism works. <laughs> and so how did you have much feelings from in the 90s, Chris? Or did you? Well, I, I've considered him like, he's a classic unfashionable manager, very much in the mould of Tony Pulis. But what this documentary taught me, and I can't remember, someone in this documentary has the line of, the, the, the absolute line of this whole documentary comes from, I think it's, uh, maybe it was a journalist or someone who says it. Neil Warnock is Jekyll and Hyde. And like, when he's the touchline manager, when he's this public persona, Neil Warnock, he is awful. He is so mouthy, constantly having a go at the refs. And when he's an opposition manager, you just think, what an awful human being, like, just nasty, having a go all the time. But what you what you actually don't see, which is the Neil Warnock that exists most of the time, is the guy who's talking to the media and the guy who's the manager for that support and that, that leader in the dressing room. Quite a nice guy. Like, in the yeah. family man. And, like, you're at, like, this guy is so affable. The first note I went is like wrote was like, how can he be so angry and yet also so affable? He's he, he's so Jekyll and Hyde. The person who says that is bang on. And actually what I came out of this thinking was like, I love this guy. He's exactly like, I'd love him to run my club because you know he'll ring everything out of those players and you know he'll yeah. take it seriously. And you know at his very core, he is a nice guy. And actually, all that bluster is really only for the benefit of the team. He's trying to work every single angle he can work for the benefit of the team, even if that's shouting at the referee, having a go at the opposition manager, yeah. whatever it is. But fundamentally, he's a great, nice guy. And, and that really surprised me because I just thought he was a twat. <laughs> I agree with you, Skull. I totally agree. If he, yeah. if he was your manager, and obviously he was Palace manager, I'm wearing my Palace tracky top, but if he was your manager, you would bloody love him, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. Dennis Wise, Robbie Savage. You hate him when they're on the opposition team. Yeah. When they're your arsehole. Oh, totally. Yeah. You're like, yes. 
By the way, Palace fans, I'm well aware the second spell did not go so well, but that first spell. <laughs> I heard anecdotally that he would walk into wine bars in the area, like with his with his wine for what have you, and would would apropos of nothing buy people drinks. Like Palace fans, <sighs> he was he was such a man of the people. Palace fans, re- that first spell, he the, oh, he was such a perfect fit. And he is a man of the people. The first scene you see is an away game, pre-season friendly, and he just goes over with a cup of tea to chats to the fans. And I was Brilliant. like. How wonderfully human. Brilliant. That is such an yeah. obvious thing to do to ingratiate yourself, ingratiate yourself with the support. And like he's just having a natter. There isn't a big crowd. He's just chatting to someone about the kit this season. One of my favourite details of that first game you see beforehand is he gives the team talk and then he says, he sends the kit, the team out, and he sends the, uh, the staff out and he's just in the dressing room and he has a couple of minutes on his own and he describes it as, I go to the toilet and then he says bizarrely and quite kind of, Cryptically, I do nothing untoward, and I'd love to know. <laughs> love to know what he's worried with that he has a wank before the game. <laughs> I was going to say, there's, a, there's definitely a rumor going around at a previous club. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. A rumor that just so you know, I definitely was having a shit. <laughs> nothing untoward, just a shit. Do you know before every game? Warnock sends the team out and stays in the dressing room for a wank. <laughs> Just something I do. <laughs> but he says, no, I go to the toilet, nothing untoward, and I think about my family. And I think that he means separately from when he goes to the toilet. But I just <laughs> love the idea of these two minutes that Neil Warnock gets to himself before a game. Yeah. Like a parent of young kids. Do you know what I mean? He just likes to have the two minutes to himself. I know. Ah, this is Neil's time. <laughs> yeah, this is just Neil. That opening team talk, by the way, genuinely, non-ironically, brilliant. Yeah. I totally felt that. Do you not think as well, like, I've, we've all heard Neil Warnock talk lots of times, but is he, like, extra Sheffield in this? Yeah, he seems particularly northern. There's a couple of phrases where it's like, I can't even understand what he's saying. Brilliant. There's, like, one bit where he's like, because, uh, I can't remember who he's talking to. It might be Jagielka, but he's like, they come in at half time and Jagielka's like, he's a shit house. And Neil Warner's like, yeah, he's a shit house. <laughs> so he's, his accent is so strong. He makes noises I've not heard a human being make. And then every now and then, he goes cockney. So he's like, fuck it, Jagger, fuck it, fuck it, Chris Morgan, fuck it. And then he, go, and then he goes, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Al is my favourite. <laughs> What's the one where they, they, it's like Neil Neil at half time and he's doing the team talk at half time and he goes, we might win it with a knob end in the 91st minute. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> he might win, it, might win it with a knob end. <laughs> Can I just say one of the things I found fascinating was Stuart McCauley's assistant is he says that the interesting thing is at half time, Neil Warnock's very calm. So you imagine... Neil Warnock bollocking them. He does that every time you see him bollocking them. That's after the game. Yeah. At half time, he's very calm, Stuart McCall says. And he's really, and you see these clips. And it's really interesting because you imagine half time is like you go in and, you know, when a team comes out and you think, oh, they've really shaken them up with a bollocking. But Warnock's, during the, the, when the ball is in play and there's something to lose, Warnock has got this thing where he doesn't really go hard on them, which is really interesting. There's even a line where, just to sort of maybe follow in the footsteps of your what he might be doing in the, the toilet before a match, there's a bit where he says that at half-time, he, t- <laughs> he takes Stuart McCall and Mick Jones into the shower. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing untoward. <laughs> Nothing untoward. 
<laughs> you, you, you know what? You do whatever you need to do. Nothing untoward. Can we talk about his relationship with officials? Yes. Jeff Winter, who has a, a very brief one one take talking head, which I'm not sure is worth the interview. Can I just say that Jeff Winter is 100% wearing his wedding suit. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Winter has gone, I've only worn this once. <laughs> Jeff Winter, who says he likes him, and then in his defence of Neil Warnock, he's, he uses the phrase, I've never found him totally abusive. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I've, ri- I've written that down because he says it like it's the loveliest compliment ever. Yeah. But he says it as if, like, do you remember on This Is Your Life when someone would come out and give a lovely tribute? Yeah. <laughs> he delivers it, like, from the heart. I've ne- I never found him totally abusive. <laughs> what did you think of his relationship with the officials, Michael? I mean, I'm going to say it's problematic. Yeah. I get that he's kind of trying to squeeze every little inch out of the match for his team, for his players, for his club. But I think there comes a point where you're like, okay, you've probably crossed the line there almost every single time. Yeah, there's there's a scene with a linesman that's incredible. He's so mean to him. In the current climate, surely that's a straight red. Yeah, <laughs> that was now. Yeah. The, the things he's oh and then and then the mind games at Millwall oh we're in fucking London now yeah. we're in fucking London now which was clearly his way of like trying to get into the heads of the, the yeah. astonishing bit where I don't know if you caught this so occasionally the linesman's in front of him so he gets to have a go at him but the linesman's off down the other end because the ball's at the other end and he he's shouting down the linesman can't hear him and he gets one of the subs. And he tells him to go and warm up down there so he could tell yeah. a linesman he got a decision wrong. <laughs> Run down there and warm up so you can bollock the linesman. He also, he shouts, at, I don't know if it's the same game, but he shouts, uh, like, fucking hell, Lino, show us you're not biased all the time, yeah, will you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Try and pretend it's you're like, not biased. Yeah. It's actually like in, in the head of the linesman. Imagine being that player, though. Right, you warm up. Oh, finally, I'm going to get on and shout at the linesman. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Is that, is that what I am at this club? You know when a player goes to warm up? We, you know, we're reading stuff into it. Like at, at the Euros, when Grealish was warming <laughs> yes! up, were we actually misjudged? And we were actually going, oh, shit. Southgate's just sent him to bollock a linesman. That's all that's happened. <laughs> what do you think to the uh, playground in Stuart McCall's garden? <laughs> yeah, where, where is that? They're interviewing Stuart McCall down the local park. Was he in a park? Was he in a family-friendly pub? Was that Stuart McCall's way of saying to us all, yeah, I'm doing pretty well, thank you? <laughs> I didn't see that. It's a children's playground behind his head. Wooden playground behind him. I don't know if you saw this. I mean, I may have watched this with too much detail. The rings on that playground looked abs- They looked literally impossible. <laughs> Max Whitlock would have seen those rings and gone, absolutely no chance. You know, I say this a lot, but we will put that on our Instagram if you're excited to see uh, the, uh, the uh, rings on that. Sorry, what were you going to say, Scar? Do you think that kind of referee and linesman abuse actually makes a difference? Yeah, I think it probably does, doesn't it? But against you, surely. Yeah, wouldn't it go the other way? If you're kind of like, I think it would backfire. It would backfire, surely. If it's going to make any difference, it would make a difference against the interests of your team. Yeah, I think at that level, unless you're Alex Ferguson, unless you're a kind of a kingmaker who can genuinely kind of freeze out people and, and uh, you know, affect their career... At that level, surely if you're the ref or the lino, you're just more inclined to give those marginal ones against them because that's your only that's the only way you can come back. It's like you can't turn around and turn to fuck off. But what you can do is, well, I'm just going to flag next time when it's a 50-50. 
Yeah. I mean, he says to the linesman at one point, he says, like, um, he kind of tries to play. He says, so you'll see this on Monday. And will you just think that was a mistake or will you will you feel guilty about this? Do you know what I mean? He tries every which way to kind of get in their head. It feels to me, if I'm honest, like a bit of a waste of his time. Like, surely more time should be spent tactically observing the game and making changes than thinking, right, I'm going to send the team out and then for most of the 90 minutes, I'm going to try and influence the nearest linesman to me. <laughs> like, that surely isn't... Brilliant. Total and utter... If he'd put his energy into tactics rather than emotionally manipulating some hapless linesman, they might... Sheffield United might be champions of Europe. Because what are the chances that his influence on that linesman is going to pay off in a marginal offside decision in the last 10 minutes that will influence the result. Surely that's happening so rarely. Total agreement. We also focus on him as a family man, which is a really, I mean, I know it's a puff piece, but um, is it Sharon Warnock? I can't, was it Karen? I can't. Obviously, you know, I want to say nice things about his family. I mean, this is a huge compliment. She, look, she looks like Julia Louis-Dreyfus from Seinfeld and Veep. I thought she did look a bit like Julia Louis-Dreyfus as well. Pure glamour and the, the look, and I mean this so earnestly, the love she has for Neil. Oh, my God. Oh, my it's God. It's astonishing. I want to show it to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's a happy marriage. When Neil Warnock's wife turns up and says Karen Warnock, and I looked at her and I thought, surely not. <laughs> Yeah, he's done very well for himself. He's uh, exceptionally well. Exceptionally. Yeah. He's won the Champions League. <laughs> At least 20 years younger than him. At least. Conservatively. I actually did the maths. I think he's about 53 during this documentary. And at the time, he's got two kids. He went on to have four kids. That was lovely, that bit, though. The, the family man bit. I, again, we know it's a puff piece, but we it did come across well. One of my favourite bits of the documentary was uh, Chris Morgan talking about Neil Warnock. I don't fits on this. I quote, word for word, he said of Neil Warnock that he tries to get things relaxed. And I said out loud, he literally does not. <laughs> Neil Warnock gets things nice and relaxed in the way that cocaine gets things nice. <laughs> but I, I disagree. Before the games, he's a fucking laugh. Like, <laughs> like there's some real banter. Like, he'll be like, oh, God. like, he'll be bantering about the boots or he'll be like... Yeah, but the players look scared to death. But there's a lovely sweet bit where he's like, oh, good boots. Though. Like, he's like trying to praise yeah. the kind of player on his boots, like a kind of stepdad trying to ingratiate himself with like... But, but the player looks as if, as if to say, if I have a shit game, he's going to stick his boots up my ass. <laughs> there's, one, there's one bit I really enjoyed. You know, they, go, they have this kind of mid-season break to Scarborough. And you're like, why yeah, are you taking him to Scarborough? That's... And then Chris Morgan starts speculating, he's taking us back to Scarborough because he used to, was it manage or play there? He knows all the locals. And so they give him like free fish and chips and he gets them in the box. Basically, it's a big free holiday for Neil Warner. Yes! He gets a load of kickbacks yeah. from taking a load of people to Scarborough. I thought that was so revealing. I, lo- I love the bit in Scarborough. They play like games on the beach. They seem to be playing a game where he's taking a football team to play a game where they count how many stones they can skim into the into the sea. <laughs> yeah. And then they vote and Paddy Kenny has to go into the sea with um I can't remember who the other one that has to go in is maybe a, not John Harley, but Paddy Kenny certainly has to go into the sea. And there's a there's a great bit where he's got a foreign player who clearly doesn't speak very good English. 
and he's trying to explain the voting process to the foreign <laughs> player. And he's going, the, pl- the player, it seems to imply it's the player they like the least, but I don't believe that's the bonding way they could be doing it. What I took from that was it was a kind of like secret ballot. Every player would write down the player they liked the least and whoever got the most votes seek, like, in a private vote would then be the person that, that went into the sea. But that foreign player has zero fucking idea what's going on <laughs> yeah, like yeah. He, he, he's more likely to write his own name on that sheet of paper than anyone else's but is that a bonding thing i don't think it can't be that because it can't be that paddy kenny's had a lovely day out in scarborough where he finds out he's the least popular member of the squad <laughs> <laughs> and then he's tortured for his lack of popularity by going into the sea that it must be more a kind of who do you think could take it? Do you know what I mean? Like, who's the... Well, you say that, but I think, you know, this is 2004, was it? This documentary was made. The fact that he's taking them to Scarborough as a mid-season break and yeah. not, you know, the Canary Islands or Dubai or somewhere suggests <laughs> that, yeah, that probably is his version of team bonding. Imagine if your work took you, Chris, your work said, yeah. we're going to Scarborough. And then you got there and they said, right, we're going to vote on who everyone likes the least. <laughs> And then your name came out yeah. and you were forced to go into the sea. In front of everyone. And it's for, in Scarborough. <laughs> and you're on the bus back. Are you feeling more or less bonded <laughs> to your workmates at that point? Well, one, one thing I know is like when everyone's running into the sea, like just in their pants, but Paddy Kenny wears a shirt. <laughs> There's so much to discuss. So let's, I'll just take you through a few things we need to discuss. Number one, the scene when he talks about Kevin Blackwell getting the Leeds job. And Neil Warnock's clearly fucking livid at it. And they interview Kevin Blackwell, who was his assistant at Sheffield United. And Neil Warnock's claiming that his issue with it is how he found out. But he says the phrase, he says like, to earn what he's earning at Leeds, he's done well for himself. And you, it's, Brilliant. it's such a telling moment of jealousy of Kevin Blackwell getting the Leeds job. To earn what he's earning at Leeds United, I was quite envious. And that, that is the level of dirty washing in public that we need more of. Yeah, it's so transparent, yet Warnock's still sticking with it. And Kevin Blackwell's... Did you? Who did you feel was in the right and in the wrong in that situation? I imagine both of them in the wrong. <laughs> yes. I, I think no, no one covers themselves in glory with that. I was going to say, there's a line from Kevin Blackwell. The digs were wonderful, because they think they're subtle digs, but they're not. They're just like direct punches in the face. So there's one bit where he goes, Neil would be advised to let people know when they are valued. Yeah. 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 Oh. There's a real sort of sense of like, if you told me you loved me, I wouldn't have left you sort of thing. Yeah. If, I... yeah. if the cameras weren't rolling, Kevin would have been crying that line. <laughs> I was trying to figure out as well, like Kevin Blackwell has no playing association with Leeds. Why did Leeds suddenly go, we'll go for Neil Warnock's assistant? Yeah, that is a weird decision, isn't it? Like, what? What? That was when Leeds were going through some really yeah. weird times though, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. There's a line where Kevin Blackwell refers to himself as, and I quote, a young protégé. <laughs> and you're like, what do you see when you look in the mirror, Kevin Blackwell? He thinks he's Jose Mourinho with, <laughs> yeah. with Bobby Robson. Yeah, he's, he's Andre Villas-Boas, yeah. who's a managing porter at 30. <laughs> Man, he looks conservatively 77 years old. <laughs> so Danny Kadamashi comes in, and he's ill, and he's been... He got to sleep at five and they slept till midday so he hasn't told Neil Warnock. And he can't keep anything down, but he said he's going to have some, and I don't know what this is, carb drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? I was like, 
what is a carb drink now? And what would a, ter- a carb drink have been in 2004? I don't... Yeah, like, I've heard of protein shakes, but what's a carb drink? Is that like an OT, like, what, like... Anyway, and then Neil Warnock's like, look, play, but if you feel ill, don't be a hero. And then it cuts to 15 minutes before the game. And Neil Warnock's got to go and tell the ref that he's changed his team because, in his words, Danny Cadamatri has been sick everywhere. <laughs> The vision of 15 minutes before the game, Cadamartri just throwing up in the dressing room. And then he comes back into the dressing room and he just tells Danny Cadamartri to just go and have a bath. (laughs) And then, as an extra little Easter egg for fans of Neil Warnock's two minutes on his own, you then see Neil Warnock having his two minutes of of alone time where nothing untoward's happening. And Danny Cadamartri's just walking past in a bath towel, going to get in the bath. <laughs> so Neil never gets his two minutes on his own because Danny's having a bath. Is it not weird? Daddy Cadamartri comes in, says, I don't feel very well, throws up, and then he goes, has a bath. When you just go, why have the bath? Just go home. Well, I suppose he's covered in sick, isn't he? <laughs> Has he been sick on himself? Hang on. Also, is it, it's in a, an away game as well. So it's not yeah. like he has to sort of stick around. There's an interesting <laughs> thing that he says that it's a thing that happens with quite a few managers. Brian Clough was the same where, and I think uh, Warnock says it himself, he's like, he doesn't like to have any sick or injured players around or yeah. in the dressing room. I've always been fascinated by the psychology of that. Do they think it sort of informs or infects the mentality of the players around them if there is someone who's unwell or injured? Yeah, because Bill Shankly used to ignore them in the corridor, didn't he, when they were injured? It feels so mad because you think the point should be, don't worry, even though you're out for six months because Roy Keane broke your leg, you're still part of the setup, right? Is that not the point? Like, it feels so... I think it was almost like he didn't want their... Bad luck. It was like a superstitious thing, wasn't it? He almost didn't want it to rub off on the others. Right. But there's a bit with Kadamatri, I love this, where Warnock takes Kadamatri into what looks like the toilets and he looks around to make sure that no one's yeah. there and even says out loud, there's no one in that there is there, is there, because they want such a private chat. And then as the private conversation with him in front of a full camera crew. Yeah. And he actually <laughs> yeah. says to him, don't worry about that. Now listen, <laughs> just carry <laughs> I don't have Chris Morgan hearing this, but, I don't, but a potential audience of millions, not a bother. Well, he does that later when he's doing his final wrap-up speech and he tells them, I've been out there defending you guys to the press week in, week out. And you're like, there's a camera in here, Neil. Like, the media are here. Kadamatri, he also tells Kadamatri, so Kadamatri's just revealed, I've been throwing up, I, bet I was up till 5am. And then Neil Warnock says to him that it's oh, tailor-made for you today. What? <laughs> did, did you not hear what he just said? This couldn't be less tailor-made for him. He's told you that he's really, really off. Oh, oh, perfect. Oh, hope you're up for this. No, he's literally not up for it. He's been throwing up. My next favourite scene was in Millwall, where Kevin Muscat has a fight with Paddy Kenny in the tunnel. It's a visceral bit of footage when you see it kicking yeah. off in the tunnel. Incredible. So it starts, can I just say, it starts kicking off and you see who steams in? Chris Morgan, who I've always thought is one of the hardest men in football ever. Agreed, yeah. And you just see him charging in the tunnel and you're like, God, that's one scenario where you'd want to be on the same team as Chris Morgan. Um, What's good about the fight is no one is mic'd up except Warnock, who has got, um, you see his mic pack during, so he's obviously mic'd up the whole time, Warnock. And so you've got this kind of rough kind kind of, which you can't really make out, but with a crystal clear Neil Warnock, 
coming. You can't see him, but you can just see him going, it's Muska. Muska's done it. Look at my... Like, and he just... So Warlock's offering a, a commentary on the whole fight. And then him and Kenny get sent off. And it's Muscat's fault. And then there's this brilliant bit where Sheffield United win. I didn't know this would happen. The teams are walking off. And Neil Warnock is approaching individual Millwall players who've just lost. Dejected players. Yes. Including Jody Morris. And he goes, that serves you right for Muscat. And they don't even go, you shouldn't be doing this. But the first time he said it, I wasn't sure what was happening because he says it so politely. He he delivers it with such sort of calmness. Matter of fact. Yeah, he's just like, I serves you right for Muscat that. Almost just going, well done, lads, unlucky. Yeah. It's so provocative that they it almost is, are like, they, they don't react, which blows my mind. The fact that anyone wouldn't like push him away, like fuck off dickhead. But the fact that it's Millwall and they've just lost is absolutely insane. But what, what I wondered was they don't have a goalkeeper on their bench. So... Someone ends up going in goal. So Jad Yelka ends up Jack going in goal after Kenny Happens gets twice. sent off. But I wondered whether the Millwall players, because because Muscat, they're like, oh, he's a, he's a real shit house, isn't he, Muscat? Has, has they seen that? They know that. So he's started a fight with Kenny deliberately to get them both sent off, oh, right. knowing that they're going to have to put someone in goal that isn't a goalkeeper. And he's gone, I'll take that hit for the team. Like trading two chess pieces. Basically, yeah. And then they're like... We're now playing the second half and they've got an outfield player in goal. We're both down to 10 men, but we are at an advantage. Yeah. That bit there, I think that's my TV highlight of 2021. <laughs> the bit where he goes up to the players. I've written it down in block capitals. My name's unable to think that I was having a heart attack because I was I was literally shouting with laughter. It's so <laughs> brutal. I want that on a T-shirt. The glee serves you right for fucking Muscat, Matt. And then he goes up to the next player. Serves you right for fucking Muscat, Matt. <laughs> absolute gold. I just can't believe that goes on. Like, I, like if I hadn't seen that, I just wouldn't have believed it. Because you just think, opposition managers at the end of the game, like, why would you... He's going out of his way to create aggro and such a passive... Surely your respect for the opposition manager would mean you wouldn't do something like that. And also the game's over. What good is it? What good is it doing yeah. something like that? Well, I think that's why he's such a divisive character is that when he doesn't like you or when something like that happens, then he goes into full, like, beast mode. Like he had that famous falling out with Gary Megson when he was at um, West Brom, and that that got really really ugly. I can't remember the specifics, but there was a lot of like mud that got flung back and forth when they when they fell out. Sort of real like character assassination stuff. Was that the, that wasn't the Battle of Bramall Lane, was it? Yeah, yeah, it was that. It was that that match. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, we probably need to be careful because obviously there there are certain accusations levelled at, at that particular game, aren't there? Well, should we, that's the game that was abandoned through too many red cards, right? Yes. yes. And the accusation was that Sheffield United tried to get players sent off to have the match abandoned when it became clear they were losing. That was the allegation. Well, well let's move on <laughs> <laughs> to as possibly the most astonishing scene I wasn't expecting, when he goes to church. Yeah, there's a whole sequence of him sort of back in Cornwall in his home life that's just really, it's just really lovely. The bit where he sat fishing is the most staged photo op I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, full load, he put those waders on, he put the full outfit on, and you can imagine him going, do you get your shot? Yeah, right, get this fucking yeah. shit off me now. It's, it's up there, for staged, it's up there for when Tony Blair and Gordon Brown had an ice cream together. Do you remember when they did that to cover up the fact that they had fallen out badly? It's up there. Um, but he goes to church, 
and then he's kind of offering them tickets to the Argyle game. It's really bizarre. I know, I love that. But were you surprised that he was a religious man? Not at all. Why not? When he sat there in his lovely uh, All Creatures Great and Small woolly jumper, singing his heart out, again, it just totally fit with the character. And then trying, <laughs> to, get, and then trying to give away tickets on the night of the uh, annual general meeting. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's the AGM. It's the like, playful wag of the finger with the vicar. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> what I wouldn't be to be part of that congregation. I'd, I'd be in Warlock's congregation any day of the week. But do you know what I, th- I thought? It's like, it's such a quaint little piece of village life you've got there. If you lived in that village, how excited would you be every time you went to the pub that Warnock might be there at the bar? Oh, my- I wonder if part of his love of Cornwall is he must be Billy Big Bollocks in his Cornish <laughs> village. Like, yeah. Did you see the bit where he goes around and shakes everyone's hands? And I think it's Chris... Is it, is it Chris Morgan that goes, I've got shit on my hands, gaffer? Yeah, that was surreal. <laughs> and that was the moment where I went, can you imagine Guardiola reacting to... <laughs> he would have dragged that player into the shower. Did he mean it literally, that he had shit on his hands? No, I was like, it must be deep heat or something like that. Surely he means oh, just shit. I took it so literally that he had feces on his fingers. <laughs> I mean, it's Chris Morgan, so I wouldn't put it past him. I think he'd do anything for an edge. I've got shit on my hands, guffer. And then there's the always thrilling look behind the curtain on transfer deadline day. Brilliant. When he's signing Danny Webber. And... You know how you imagine these things are so, like, clinical and businesslike? And Danny Webber, I don't know where he's come from. Watford. Watford. They're just chatting, and he talks about another Watford player. And he's like, how he might be available. And Warnock goes, yeah, we'd have him on loan. Have you got his number? And he just gets his number off him and tries to call him. It's astonishing how 2004, and it's still... Levels of amateurism. My favourite thing about documentaries like this is when you see, especially in documentaries like, like this, when a new player is signed and you're like, I wonder how he does. And this is one of those rare occasions where Danny Webber comes in on loan and actually does well. Like this yeah. guy, this is the start of actually he's about to do quite well. So in his seven appearances that season, he scored three goals and then scored 20 goals in 107 games. He eventually signed for Sheffield United. And I was like, oh, this is quite exciting. I think this might be the first time where a manager signs a player and they actually do all right. It's astonishing. Yeah, it's really thrilling when Danny Webber scores. And I've realised <laughs> how, like, and when they're about to play Leeds, there's this great scene when they're about to play Leeds when... Um, it's before the match and he's trying to motivate the team and he goes to one of them, don't worry about the 30,000 fans, it's me they hate, you're fine. And then another one walks past and he goes, you're on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> there was one other bit where, when they're talking about transfers and they, they, there's a discussion of maybe making a, having a go trying to get Duncan Ferguson. Neil Warnock sorry, chips in with, uh, well, I, I did leave a message on Mark Hughes' phone about John Stead. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, how could you be in that boardroom and not find that little nugget exciting? Like, it's like, got Mark Hughes' number. Do you know the saddest thing about that? That was one of the uh, first messages that uh, came out in the news international phone hacks. <laughs> <laughs> that's why, that's actually why they had to close down the news of the world once they found out that, the, who's leaked the John Stead news? They must have hacked Mark Hughes' answer phone. That's the only thing. I love the bit about as well where Warwick goes, he's not, he's not returned as Cole. And you can imagine Mark Hughes looking at his mobile and Neil Warlock's name flashing up and he going, I'm not fucking answering that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being talked at for an hour. <laughs> um, and then they finally, they don't go up. There's an amazing scene where they, 
You know when you just get these moments where you go, fuck, I've never understood that from a manager's point of view before. But this, they're 4-0 up at Ellen Road. And you think, he must be in a good mood here. And um, the Sheffield United fans who are partying 4-0 up are singing Neil Warnock, Give Us a Wave, which is a classic kind of the ultimate salute to loving a manager. And you always presume the manager's like, this is amazing. This is my moment. The fans, give him a wave. And he goes, fucking hell, give him a wave. They'll be chanting for me out next week. And he just totally kind of, you just totally get that feeling of, oh God, they hate the fans. They hate the fickleness of the fans. They think they're completely like, you always presumed that they kind of lived for the fans kind of love. But I think actually that moment shows that the, the, Managers actually view the fans as a slight annoyance that are to be kind of entertained rather than kind of worshipped at, I think. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you kind of, you kind of think that a manager doesn't really think that, the, he, that he knows that the fans will turn on him one day. But Neil Warlock is yeah. fully aware that this yeah. they're, they're praising him now, but it won't last forever. Yeah, and then they don't go up. And then it's his final speech, which is the kind of climax of the show. There's a, there's a couple of bits before that I loved a great deal. There's a bit where he mocks Joe Royal. I don't know if you remember that bit. And Joe Royal complains about the referee and Warnock screams, he's been your best fucking player! <laughs> <laughs> Which was a lovely bit of a lovely bit of Warnock business. But then, so obviously he's more stick than carrot, but there's a bit where he gives Jaggy El- Elka praise and he goes, I thought you led the line well there. If that had been me, I would have wept tears of ecstasy. Yeah. Because that from Warnock is the equivalent of a French kiss. He apparently, every club he goes to, he has um, what they sort of term like a son at the club. And it's Jagielka, isn't it? At that club, it was Jagielka. And apparently uh, on the training ground, if it was raining, uh, Jagielka was the only player that was allowed under his umbrella. No one else was allowed. (laughs) Oh, absolutely perfection. Oh, there's a bit Sunderland away where they lose 1-0 and Warnock screams, whinges and moans for a solid minute and then he goes, take the positives out of that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I loved him and then his final speech, I was listening to it and I found it quite moving. It's when they haven't gone up. And because of his northern accent, particularly northern, I was like, what does this remind me of? And I just felt like, it was like listening to... um, a kind of classic scene from one of the Angry Young Men movies of the 60s, like Saturday Night, Sunday Morning, or Look Back in Anger, or kind of, um, you know those scenes where, like, Albert Finney will be angrily having a go at his boss in his factory? And if you just listen to it, it feels like a proper kitchen sink drama. Might not be your fault, lads, eh? I'll just have to make sure he doesn't fucking happen again, because I fucking, I tell you now... I'm fucking more determined than ever. Look at you now. I'll have a chat with all of you next week before you start flying off to fucking Mallorca and all these other places, eh? I'll have a chat about the fucking game, about your game, last few months, last few weeks. Fucking character. Fucking hell, some of you. I'm st- I stick up for you lot every fucking week in press. I stick up and stick up, and I look at your contribution, some of you. No wonder you throw a fucking bottle at fucking floor, tongue, eh? Hey? waited fucking nine months for that. A bit of fucking aggression. Fucking hell. You blame everything. Blame me, blame fucking pitch, ref, system, tactics. You want to have a look at your fucking self somewhere in the fucking mirror. There's some of you lot that could have done fucking better and we should have been up there. And you're fucking all sore and you're happy. 
You fucking be off flying away next fucking week. It doesn't hurt you. You're fucking picking away, Jill. If you told me that was a scene mm-hmm. from like an Alan Bleasdale film, like an Alan Bleasdale drama about the miners' strike and a man who'd been made unemployed in the miners' strike, and that was like the the scene that won Neil Warnock a BAFTA for the most moving kind of his wife's left him and all, and he's he's been on the front line and then suddenly everyone's broken the picket line and he's the only one left. That is the emotion that's coursing through him at that and, uh, point. Spot on. At Tom Courtney playing Neil Warnock. <laughs> You want to take a look at yourself in fucking mirror? In fucking mirror. There's another speech about uh, about when he's telling him to go out, and he goes, "Take your missus out, shag her on car seat." <laughs> and I thought, I guarantee, not a single player had sexual intercourse that night <laughs> because you'd have thought of Warnock's beaming face. I mean, we've loved it, right? Did you love it? Love it. Final thoughts, Chris. Final thoughts are Neil Warnock is a top man. I have totally reformed my opinions of him. I think he's a real Jekyll and Hyde, but just a good, kind man at his heart. And I'm glad that after 2004, he went on to manage in the top flight and he had a great, the greatest uh, days of his career came after this documentary. And I'm really pleased for him. I think he's a good man. Apart from Notts County was a great day of his career, but you didn't know about that. James, (laughs) final thoughts? Uh, his final line, he goes, uh, it, when he's dressed up as a referee, which was a, a high point, when he goes, uh, it starts with referees, it ends with referees. And I was like, yeah, all right, Oscar Wilde. <laughs> I liked it better when you were screaming at Chris Morgan. <laughs> well, I loved it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. What a documentary. Absolutely superb. James, thank you very much. I was just going to say, I think if, if you love football, obviously you do because you're listening to this, you will adore this documentary. Yeah. It's the first one I've watched since maybe Barry Fry, where you go, oh, this is proper heartwarming stuff. And it's not just something where I've gone, I like that little bit and I like that little bit. I watched it with a smile. And if you're like me and you're quite emotional, serves you right for fucking muscat. We'll, uh, (laughs) (laughs) You'll watch that on a loop. There we go. I loved that documentary. But I think that came across. We don't need to all just meet up without James now to say how much we loved it again, do we? Should we just get into the quiz? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Billy Brennan writes, All right, guys, love the pod, blah, 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 usual pleasantries. I've always been fascinated with the sign-off. Robbie Slater, see you later. Who came up with it? And do you realise it's now a regular parlance for many football fans? Is it? Well, he, he says so. I don't know if you've discussed it or thought about it before you settled on that goodbye. No, we didn't. You just used to say it, didn't you, Scott? Well, we used to say it in my house when I was a kid. Did you? Yeah. But have you considered others? Me and my mates, over the course of many matches and beers, have come up with a game incorporating saying goodbye in 90s footballers. (laughs) Obviously, you need a common recognised phrase to say goodbye. This must be preceded by a 90s footballer who's played at least one first-team game. The name then must phonetically be the same as the phrase, i.e., you can't have Bon Voyage Robbie Savage. (laughs) Okay, below are the ones we've accumulated so far. Hopefully, you and your listeners can add to it. Now, rather than trying to make you come with them off the back, because that's quite difficult, I'm going to give you each a player or a phrase, and I want you to give me the other side of the phrase. You happy with that? Nice, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. Three each. Okay, we'll start with Michael. Take care. Take care. 
Brian McClare. Correct. Oh. One point is Brian McClare. Take care. Okay. Skull, do you want a player or do you want a phrase? Uh, give me a player. Malky Mackay. Tatty bye. Tatty bye. Well, they've gone with bye bye, but I'll accept tatty bye. It still works. <laughs> tatty bye. Malky Mackay. Okay. Michael? I'll go player first this time. Pat Vanden Howe. Uh, bye for now. I'll give you half a point for bye for now. It was chow. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, chow. Uh, I think it... Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, one and a half to Michael. Skull? Okay, let's go with the phrase. Adios. That Greek player, Stelios? I think I've got it. J- Michael, to steal? Jeremy Goss. Correct! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Michael, to win it, you're two and a half points to one up. Oh. To win it, player, or do you want a phrase? I think I'm stronger phrased into player. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Steve Morrow. Correct. That was really nice. Very good. Really nice. Thank you to uh, Billy Brennan for that. If you've got any of your own, do send them in. He adds also... Do you want some more of those? Or do you want to play it again next week? Let's play it again next week. I love that game. Okay, and if you've got okay. any more, send them in. Hello at yeah. quicklykevin.com. Give us five or six extra. Okay, Michael, what song would you like to end on? I can imagine what album it will be from. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I can't remember the track listing. Who was... Uh... Uh, do you know what? I think I would like to play us out with a... Uh, what is hopefully the smooth saxophone solo of Mr. Dion Dublin. <laughs> The smooth sax solo of Mr. Dion Dublin on my favourite things. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.